As the global community continues to navigate the COVID landscape, the Africa Study Group is collaborating with PodSafe Africa to explore the current realities of African youth and their perspectives towards a post-COVID climate. The Africa Study Group is an association promoting closer cooperation between Canada and Africa in all relevant domains. Specifically, PodSafe Africa will be working with Adiola Onofowa, who describes himself as an African indigene invested in creating and bridging value to promote the African diaspora in Canada. For today's conversation, we'll be focusing on Nigeria from the perspective of a Nigerian who lives in Nigeria called Tenny. Hi everyone, my name is Teniola Tayo. I am a public sector consultant. Today, we continue the conversation with Tenny that we started in our last episode. We discussed the origin of Nigeria's foreign policy, how Nigeria's foreign policy has historically been administered and what its focus should be in the future. To Pod Save Africa. Welcome 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 to Pod Save Africa. Welcome. One of the things you reflected on that I find very interesting is like, okay, you know, structurally, how are we set up um, colonially? And my my kind of running thesis is like most of these countries are set up with extraction in mind. And that's, that structure has not, has not fundamentally changed, which is why you find that a lot of the leaders are very extraction oriented. That's that's how I'm going to put it, extraction oriented. That's that's my, my code name for um, a little uh, less savory words. But um, most, one thing I find interesting is seeing how uh, governmental powers, or sorry, colonial powers have gotten involved in like a fight against like Boko Haram. Um, what do you think about like, you know, that involvement currently? And perhaps maybe we start to talk, Have I'd love to hear you reflect on kind of scarcity situation across West Africa and how that's, how that's evolved over the past, let's say, 10 years. Yeah, so Boko Haram, you know, I was in some research on foreign military interference or presence in Boko Haram. And compared to other West African conflicts, you had less interference. So this is probably because of Nigeria and the nature of the Nigerian states. Nigeria has historically been the states that like to claim, you know, sovereignty. They don't like interference in their sovereignty. They were a bit stronger than some other West African states. Even when you talk about humanitarian responses, for example, for the conflict, I was speaking to some humanitarian actors in Borneo states, so some state humanitarian actors or some state actors that engage in humanitarian activities. And they were saying that the wider humanitarian system always tells them that in other contexts that they operate in, they are more in control. But when it comes to Nigeria, Nigeria is more in control of the activities. They have to report to the government. They have to report to the state's government. And Nigeria is just a lot more in charge. So Nigeria has historically been, you know, this states of this, when I say states now, like the states in, in the theoretical concept, a country that um, feels like it has more autonomy over its affairs. It also goes back to, I mean, it goes back to Nigeria's size, so the most populous black nation. If you read, um, 
I was doing some research on Nigeria's foreign policy, and we had our very first foreign minister, Jaja Wachuku. And even before independence, the year that we became independence, I think that January, there was a debate in the Nigerian parliament at that time about Nigeria's role in the world. And a lot of the rhetoric was about Nigeria being the most populous black nation and the role that um, the country should take in the world in terms of even the black populations across the world, not just in Africa. So there's always been a bit of this grandiose um, stance in terms of Nigeria, Nigeria's role and the way Nigeria should interact with other people. It was almost like Nigeria should be the one fighting against even things like racism, across the world for even for African Americans, even other black populations in Latin America and Caribbeans and things like that. So that's a bit of the source of the idea that Nigeria is this powerful country that is very sovereign. It has also affected the way Nigeria behaves in Africa. So in many of the African wars, Nigeria was very involved in Sierra Leone, in Liberia, even in the fight against apartheid, Nigeria was very involved. So building on this idea that Nigeria is the black right? They were very involved, you know, sending supplies. Nigeria has supported many African and even other Black countries in ways that we've kind of forgotten because they've been erased, a bit um, eroded from, from popular discourse or, or the history. And it's also affected Nigeria's initial approach to, to Boko Haram. So there's the idea that Nigeria should solve its own problems. And apart from even Nigeria's behavior, because of Nigeria's um, historical behavior. I'll give another example. Initially, the Africa Command, so the United States Africa Command was supposed to be based in Africa, and Nigeria was one of the countries that fought vehemently against that, saying, no, they were not going to accept an Africa Command based in Africa, and that's why it was based elsewhere. Although we know that there was a bit of a move, um, a reversal on that position very recently. So there is an awareness in the international community of Nigeria's idea of its role and its its size and and its and its um, grandiosity and its sovereignty. So people are a lot more careful with Nigeria in terms of interfering. And this applies to the British, to the French, to anybody. They're not as um, audacious when it comes to Nigeria versus other countries. And these are things that I hear directly from diplomats. So when you talk about the Boko Haram conflict, you know, some say, I mean, we have reports that the US offered help at some points, the UK offered help, but then the idea was that Nigeria said, you know, they wanted to solve their own problem by themselves. They didn't want to accept any help from, they didn't want to accept help from anybody. There was a time when Nigeria hired South African mercenaries. It was between 2014 and 15, just before the elections in 2015. So, the, you know, it was rather, it was, had, it was almost like rather than accepting foreign interference, let's bring these guys that we can pay money to, to solve this problem for us. And they did make some progress in the Boko Haram War. So from my own research, in terms of direct involvement in the war against Boko Haram thus far, there's not been as much interference as, say, in the Sahel, because the Sahel is the, the region, Mali, Burkina Faso, and Niger, and those places, and the things that are happening there. So, I mean, there's been a lot more interference in Mali. The reason why I know this um, a bit more clearly was because I was attempting to write an article comparing interference in, in, in Boko Haram, because Boko Haram is not just a Nigerian problem, now it's a problem for the Lake Chad Basin. Lake Chad Basin is Nigeria, Chad, Niger, Cameroon. And then the interference in the Sahel, and I was trying to draw parallels, but the feedback that I got from a lot of experts on the Sahel was that it's very different, you know. So you cannot even compare the level of interference in, in the Nigeria side of, of the conflict to what is going on the, in the Sahel. In fact, there are some people that even believe that if France had not interfered in the Sahel, Mali would not be existing today. I didn't agree with that argument, you know. I was like, now, so it was, <laughs> was France the savior or something? But 
you know, there's an idea that you can't even compare that they're very different contexts, you know. So um, thus far, there's not been as much interference um, in, in the fight against Boko Haram. But we are seeing a bit of a change now. We're seeing it. another example. I mentioned that in 2014-15, stroke the Jonathan government invited South African mercenaries uh, to fight against, fight in the war against Boko Haram. And then even before Buhari was president, he spoke out against that um, situation. He said, why do we need to invite foreign mercenaries? We can handle this ourselves. Da, 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 da. So he condemned the Jonathan government for doing that. And then you now have the same Buhari going to the US and saying, we need you guys to come back to Africa. So there's been a, a bit of a drastic change in Nigeria's policy. And unfortunately, it's not even very coherent because it's not like Nigeria decided that oh, we're going to start doing this. It was pretty much a unilateral thing where you had the Nigerian president make a very, very serious declaration sense ripple it was sense waves across West Africa. I know even other West Africans that I know were very hurt because you even have some Francophone West African countries that feel like Nigeria is the only is the, is their only chance against France, you know. And Nigeria is the only real person that because they say who are the great powers in West Africa is Nigeria and France, right? So they feel like Nigeria is the only um person or entity that they have that can help them fight against France and things like that. So having Nigeria now, you know, almost like um, spread their hands out, begging for foreign interference, and the U.S. of all people was quite disappointing for for many people. So I think, specifically to your question, in Nigeria, it's not been as as much. Although with this new um, with this new body language of of this government, we don't know if that is going to change. And then um, for the Sahel, it's been a lot more, and it's also had its own effect. So that's why France is in is is, is in trouble with a lot of the West African countries, the growing anti-French sentiments. I think just one or two weeks ago, very recently, I heard that I think I read that some French soldiers were even killed again in an attack in one of these um um Francophone countries. France is even planning to pull. They claim that they are going to start pulling back soldiers from some of these regions. So there's a bit more of a struggle there, or there's a lot more of a struggle of, of a struggle in, 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 in those areas. So yes, it's um, one of the parallels that we have in, in West Africa. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting you say this. Um, and you know, oftentimes we talk about foreign intervention and we make it seem like in, in a comparative political space, you know, just because uh, we have foreigners coming into France or into French colonies, therefore Mali is a little bit safer or whatnot, or Niger is a little bit safer, whereas that's not the case. They've been at this war for as long as Nigeria has been at the war with Boko Haram. So Nigeria is not letting you know, foreign people come in, but yet we're still going through the same problems. The other side let foreign people come in, same problems. So there's a consistency in that level. Um, now, I'm asking this question for our listeners who may not have as much as a dig in into Nigeria as a whole. Because um, now we talk about Nigeria, it's like, it's like Pakistan, it's like Iran, it's like Iraq, it just sounds the same. Bomb blast, people dying, people being kidnapped. It's a normal course. What is this Nigerian idea? Because you talk about Nigeria's idea of itself, its grand idea of itself, versus the reality on ground. Because you're on ground right now. What it can, and you've traveled to neighboring countries and you've seen that. Is that idea real, or is it just like you said, just an idea? And can you, having worked in policy, you know, departments, can you walk us through how these policies are influenced? What is Nigeria's foreign policy stance? You know, so far. It's this, it's that, it's this, but do we have an actual position that is consistent with every administration? Or is it when you come into government, you change it based on your own whims? Um yeah, and just very quickly on the on your first statement. So one of the reasons why uh, the French military 
claims that they'll be redrawing. So they've said that they will redraw. We'll see. They said over the next couple of years, we'll see what happens. And one of the reasons why there's a little bit of a hesitation to get over involved in counterterrorism or counterinsurgency in Nigeria or in the in Lichtad Basin is because of this awareness. Like you said, the failure of the French to really, really contain what is going on in the Sahel because there's the awareness that counterinsurgency in these regions goes beyond military efforts. So it's not just about fighting insurgents or killing insurgents. They are very deep political issues that you as a foreign actor cannot involve yourself in. You know, they are very deep political issues between the people and the states, you know, and that's, you know, there's nothing that you can do about it. So just um, a, a note on that. And Nigeria's foreign policy, <laughs> this is a topic that I've been quite interested in for a long time, you know. And um, from what I've seen, right, a lot of the way we behave in, in Africa it was driven by this idea, like I mentioned, most populous black nation. And then more recently, the fact that we became the largest economy. Uh, foreign policy has historically, I mean, building from that, because I mentioned that Jaja Wachuku, then he was the speaker of the House of Reps. And then after independence, he became the first foreign minister. And if you read some of his speeches, I think there's even a speech that he went to Canada and he gave in, in Canada, you know, talking to the Canadian government or the Canadian parliament. I'm not sure. So if you look at it, you can see where you can almost see the, the seeds or the origins of, of the way that we've been behaving over time. But another thing to point out is that Nigeria's foreign policy has always been very largely influenced by whoever is the leader of Nigeria at the particular time. So we have Obasanjo, for example, that was a lot more Africa-facing as, as a leader. And that's why at that time when Obasanjo was ruling, it was when we were very involved with things like the, then it was the OAU, now the African Union, and just other Pan-African projects like ECOWAS. Obasanjo was one of the main people that, that was pushing things like that. So Nigeria's foreign policy, because it's never been comprehensive or specific enough, you know, it's been largely influenced by whoever is leading Nigeria at a particular time. But then the general gist of Nigeria's foreign policy has been that it is Africa-focused. So when you ask people what is Nigeria's foreign policy, they'll say Nigeria's foreign policy is that Nigeria is Africa-centric. So Nigeria is focused on Africa. And that focus on Africa also comes from Jaja Wachuku because, you know, the idea of Nigeria and Africa, because then there were still some African countries that were still trying to get independent. So Nigeria felt like they could also play a role in that. So that's the a bit of the origin of Nigeria's um, foreign policy. And it's what has existed till date. But very recently... Um, at the House of Reps, they had a meeting where they were discussing Nigeria's foreign policy, and they said that the foreign policy from the 1960s is no longer relevant, and that it's even full of contradictions, and that it no longer, it no longer reflects Nigeria's needs in the world. So from my, I mean, from the bit that I listened to, I was getting a sense that, you know, this whole idea of Africa-centric, Africa-centric, they feel like it doesn't really... I feel like it's not enough anymore. The world is big. So they, they were talking about globalization and Nigeria's need to pursue its interest in the global changing world and things like that. So that Nigeria needs to be a bit more outward, outward looking. So that is going on at the moment. And I think the conference was supposed to launch um, a consultation process to review Nigeria's foreign policy and revise Nigeria's foreign policy. I don't know how far they've gone, but then I know that that process was started. And then you look at even some of the outcomes of Nigeria's foreign policy. So Historically, like I said, Nigeria has been involved in a lot of African conflicts, African affairs, just doing things. There was even a time when Nigeria donated, I think, police cars to Ghana. It was, a, I think it was a long time ago, but then Nigeria used to do all of these things, you know, at, at that time. But when you look at Nigeria standing now in Africa, it's not great in, in, in any way. I know that I was listening to a podcast, interestingly, and it was talking about free, free movements across the African continent. And it was a South African guy that was speaking, and he said how he knows that Nigeria wants free movement because the Nigerian government is looking for ways to dump Nigerians 
across the continent. So there is really this, um, I don't, because some people like to say, because when we say that there's even a fall from grace, some people like to say, but when were you high up there? Like, what do you, where do you think you were? Because you always feel like you were higher than you actually were, you know? Because the way we feel like, we say we are the giant of Africa. That giant of Africa idea, it applies more to West Africa from what I've learned because the rest of Africa do not really, never really rated Nigeria like that in at any point. So like you go to a place like Kenya or South Africa and they don't really care about Nigeria. You go to Morocco, like who is Nigeria? <laughs> like they don't care. So we've just had this idea of Nigeria, 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 but then, you know, not so much. And this is what I've, 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 I've learned from speaking to, to other Africans. So it's even more West Africa that even rates us a bit because we're in that region. But even then, it's, I mean, for the Francophone West Africans, they're a little bit indifferent to Nigeria. Nigeria is just a strange entity somewhere, very big, you know, oversized. And I mean, what they know about Nigeria is the influences. So the music, the movies, you know, a lot of people that you meet in West Africa, the first thing they'll tell you is that they've watched Nigerian movies or they, what they know for of Nigeria is from um, Nollywood. Even in Ghana, initially, to an extent, a lot of what they knew of Nigeria was from Nollywood. So they don't really think about Nigeria as much as we think that we think about, they think about us, you know, they don't care about Nigeria as much. So you now have this history of an Africa-focused foreign policy and also where you were pushing resources in that direction in terms of your military intervention, in terms of many things. And then you have an outcome that's, in fact, what, from what I've seen, even from my own personal experience and from my observation, it's almost like there's a consensus across the continent that um, Nigerians are the um, nationality that it is okay to to this, you know, because I don't know, they, because we're so popular, right? So it's 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 fun to to this Nigerians. So there's not been great um, reputational outcomes on the historically Africa-focused um, foreign policy. So I think that maybe that's partly why the National Assembly now is saying, you know, what have we gotten out of this? Maybe we should just focus on the wider role. And if you dig even deeper, when the chief of staff died, he was replaced by Ibrahim Gambari. Ibrahim Gambari is a, is a diplomat, more or less. He even has a book from years ago called Nigeria's Foreign Policy. So these are issues that he's been looking at for a long time. And after he became chief of staff, I felt like now this is just my speculation, just me looking at what was going on. I felt like there was a bit of um, of an improvement in what Nigeria was doing in, in the foreign space, even in the ways that it was pushing people like um, um, Okonjewela and just the, the more concerted efforts towards pushing Nigerians in the world to higher places. Another example is the African Union election. So the, very recently we had the African Union Commission elections and Nigeria's guy, his name is Bankoli, he was elected as, I think, is it, what's the name of that office? Is it Peace and Governance Office or Peace, Security and Governance Office or something like that? It's a big office that everybody wanted to get into. But from what I hear, Nigeria was able to get consensus from West Africa and got the whole, the entire West African bloc to vote for the Nigerian guy. So there's been a little, it seems like there's been a little bit more coherence in Nigeria's actions. And maybe that's why they now want to revise the foreign policy and just, you know, get it to reflect Nigeria's needs. You have Nigerians all over the world. Nigeria's foreign policy needs to reflect the Nigerian diaspora very strongly because I don't I, I, I don't think in any way that we should be stopping Nigerians from leaving Nigeria because we're too many. You know how many Nigerians are being born every day, you know? So we even need space in the world. But then there is something that you can do to make sure that even when you have your people out there, they still feel somewhat connected, whether they're remitting, whether they are helping your country. So 
we're not doing enough in that. I know we have Abike Dabiri trying our best with <laughs> some of the things that she's doing. But then in terms of having a co- coherent plan for the diaspora, even what the Nigerian embassies are doing in different countries. I went to the embassy in the UK and I think I was depressed that day when I got home because I just couldn't understand what was going on. And I said, in a country like the UK, the UK, Nigeria's former colonial government, the UK as one of the big powers in the world, is this what the Nigerian embassy looks like? You know, that means you're not even doing much, you know. I mean, so yes, you have these realities, but then um, I guess the, the, the summary of the answer is that Nigeria's foreign policy is to be very Afrocentric and that very recently it seems like there are some efforts to revise that foreign policy and generally, there is a there's a lot of work for Nigeria to do in terms of foreign policy, in terms of its reputation, in terms of just the way it's regarded in the world, in terms of, I mean, we can't deny the problems that we have. But then, you know, I, I like to say that Nigeria is sort of like the best and the worst. But then maybe we need to we need to work a bit more in providing a more nuanced picture for whoever is observing Nigeria, just so that, um, you know, it's... Nigeria is not de- Nigeria and Nigerians are not demonized. For example, I think that Nigeria should, should take responsibility for the things that its citizens do in other countries. You know, because it's one of the big criticisms you get from other African countries. They talk about what Nigerians are doing there. It's what the minority of Nigerians are doing there. But then they just also can't deny the fact that they open the newspaper, they see um, four girls killed by two Nigerians. Right next week, they see. Uh, 10 Nigerians come, da, da 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 Even in Senegal, you had the same thing. 10 Nigerians carry out, da 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 da, da. So you can't, they can't deny that because they're like, is it only Nigeria? Africa is a country of 54, is a continent of 54 countries. So I think that if the Nigerian government even takes more responsibility for that, if they show proactivity, then it, it's even better than just being agnostic or denying that Nigerians in some, some Nigerians in other places are doing bad things that are affecting the reputation of the other country. So just different elements like this, diaspora, you know, reputation, even using a soft power in terms of Nollywood and music and, and all of those things to try to begin to work towards improving the way Nigeria is regarded in the world, but also making sure that we're trying our best to fix the real problems that we have rather than just trying to fix the way the outside looks. So we have to fix the outside and the inside parallelly. Some of the ways Nigeria's foreign policy has been African-focused and Nigeria has played a leadership role include Nigeria's involvement in the ECOMONG, which stands for ECOWAS Ceasefire Monitoring Group. ECOMONG was a peacekeeping force that was set up in 1990 to bring peace and end the bloody civil war in Monrovia, Liberia. It included forces from five ECOWAS countries, including Ghana, Gambia, Guinea, Nigeria, and Syria alone. Nigeria led the contributions, including having a majority of troops and supporting through financial resources to the ECOMONG. Another example is Nigeria's involvement in the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa. During that time, Nigeria's government provided financial support and issued over 300 passports for South Africans who could not travel abroad because their passports had been redrawn by the apartheid regime. Nigeria was also the only nation worldwide to set up a NACAP, which stands for National Committee Against Apartheid, to coordinate Nigerian government and civil society joint anti-apartheid actions and decisions. I wanted you to, you've kind of reflected on 
this giant of Africa thing and perception from West Africa and the brother Africa and all some other countries in the, on the African continent, if you could reflect on it from the Nigerian perspective, from the average Nigerian, is it, is it, do we think this way? I mean, you live in Nigeria currently, so you have Nigerian friends. And also what is the interaction with that? Are we, do we not think this way? And there's a push to get Nigeria to that sense. Is there involvement or interest in politics and things like that? Um, what are you, some of your thoughts about that? I think um, some of our previous rulers, there was some rhetoric that they used to push that was very strong and that had uh, quite a lasting effect on collective psyche. So I know that there's a popular saying that um, Nigeria's problem is not money, but how to spend it or something like that. And that lasted for a very long time, you know. And that's why till today, even though Nigeria is an extremely broke country, people still feel like, no, Nigeria's problem is not money. It's because everybody's stealing the money. Yes, people are stealing the money, but at the same time, we are very, very poor, you know, in terms of our revenues and things like that. So yes, I think that there was some rhetoric that was pushed around at the time that has, has been quite difficult to undo or to reverse. Um, Nigeria is a giant of Africa. Yeah, you know, you know, people like to call, uh, compare Nigerians to Americans and uh, to Americans. Yeah, you can say Americans because I, I read that you can't, you shouldn't say America when you're talking about the U.S. But I guess you can still say Americans. Um, yeah, Nigerians are sometimes compared to Americans, and I do feel that we we are sort of very self-absorbed as as a country. You know, uh, I told my mom that I was because I'm going to Senegal for work next month, and also I told her that I wanted to just branch very briefly in the Gambia because the Gambia is very close to Senegal, so I could take a bus directly from Senegal to the Gambia. And then she told me, well, "What are you going to do there?" Like I, <laughs> you know what, like that she has not even maybe she has seen it somewhere before, but what am I going to do in the Gambia? Even the first time I was going to Senegal, people were asking me that will my internet be working? There's yeah, some people are asking me that that will my internet be working in Senegal. So we're very self-absorbed. We think that Africa begins and ends with Nigeria. You know, we were not it's recently with social media that we're connecting more with you know other Africans and, and seeing a bit more of what is happening in these other countries and knowing you know that these countries are there and they're very real and Nigeria is not just like the Africa is not just made up of Nigeria, but um, and I guess that contributed to the whole dance of Africa mindset because it just felt like with this big star in the sky and everybody else was looking to us. I do think that that is changing a bit. So I think that when the conflict in the Northeast started, or the current phase of the conflict in the Northeast started, before it wasn't really a pan-Nigerian issue. People did not see it as a pan-Nigerian issue. But between then and now, you know. Uh, the insecurity situation has deteriorated so much that there's there are very few Nigerians that are not aware of it or that are not affected by it one way or the other. I turn on the radio and the conversation is always about insecurity. I go to a restaurant, somebody behind me is talking about insecurity. I don't think I've ever seen it this way before where every single person is talking about the same thing. Before I felt like those of us on Twitter, because we see this news as it happens, you see the videos, I feel like maybe we're a bit more connected and that's why we're feeling it more. But now I'm realizing that, no, it's... Like my security man is saying the same thing because even people that are not on Twitter, they're looking at the headlines. They're just hearing. I mean, last week I bought a carton of Indomie that I told my security man to give it to some people. And then he was telling me how one of the women on the streets, her husband was kidnapped and killed. So these are things that are happen, happening everywhere. So I do think that that is beginning to very um, significantly cheap at the idea of Nigeria as a giant of Africa because what kind of giants cannot take care of of, of itself and of, of its people. So I think that now, especially with the, I mean, starting with the 
intellectuals in quotes or the Twitter demographic in quotes, there is a bit of sarcasm now, if anybody's seen Giants of Africa. There's still a lot of pride because Nigerians are naturally very prideful people. So, you know, there's a lot of pride, but then now, like, we are very aware that, okay, you know, our country is not as great as we thought it was, you know, you know, and, and things are very, very seriously going wrong. So I, I would I would say that, and I think that, again, because we were so into love, we're so self-obsessed, I don't think we won't think much about Nigeria's interaction with the rest of the world on average. You know, we think about Nigeria, and it's something that I realized when I first of all moved to Ghana for school, because I realized the difference in the way I had conceptualized Nigeria to the way I saw it, to the way it was regarded when I went to Ghana. I know that I was in one seminar in school and then the TA was saying how Nigerian students are the ones that are always cheating. And people were even trying to like, people that knew that I was a Nigerian in the class were even trying to correct him. But then just little things like that. And I, I knew how I would go somewhere. Someone would see me and ask, oh, are you from Benin? I'll say, no, are you from Togo? I'll say, no, oh, where are you from? I'm from Nigeria. And the way their face would just change. And this happens almost in many, many different places in Senegal, in many different places. Nigeria is not the country that they really want you to be from because when they think about Nigeria, there's a lot of baggage that comes with it that is not necessarily pleasant. But you always meet people that are also very much in love with Nigeria. I mean, I meet Ivorians that say, oh, they love Ivorians love Nigeria because Nigeria and Cote d'Ivoire are very similar. So Ivorians are also very prideful. You know, they're just like Nigerians in, in many ways. They call them, I'm not telling them that they call Ivorians Nigerians of French West Africa. So yeah, I think that, you know, we don't, we're very focused on Nigeria. And to be fair, we have a lot of problems. You have a lot of things to think about. So I don't think that we think enough about Nigeria in the world as we need to, as the, I'm, now I'm talking about the average Nigerian in Nigeria, because just being in Nigeria takes too much intellectual resources and emotional resources to even start to think about what Nigeria is doing with Togo or what Nigeria is doing with Sweden, you know, in 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 that sense. But our pride is still there, but it is very, very, very damaged. But you know, because I think the pride in Nigeria is still like an extension of the pride in itself. So Nigerians are very pride proud people. And if if you as a Nigerian you're proud, it means that you've your Nigerian identity is also supposed to be something to be proud of. So we kind of try to hold on to that as much as we can, but I know that it is suffering um, a lot of heat. Or yeah, it has been suffering a lot of heat in, in more recent times. Okay, so uh, two things in, in, in that sentence, you, in that statement you made. And my first question is, why is Nigeria important to the rest of the world? You know, or why should Nigeria be considered relevant to the rest of the world? Um, aside, of course, you know, having the largest pop- black population, you know, globally, and perhaps being the largest economy, I don't know, it kind of ties with South Africa every now and then, we, we move forward and backward. So that's my general question. Why is Nigeria important to the rest of the world? As someone in, in Canada, in America, why should I care about Nigeria? And the other part, of course, is you mentioned social media. Um, you know, the narrative from some that are back that I speak to is that, well, social media just wrongly amplifies the things happening in Nigeria. It's not as bad, you know, and it's all those educated people, the elite, the troublemakers, the noisemakers. And for that same reason is why Lai Mohammed and the rest of them are trying to do this social media ban and whatnot. Is there some truth? Is there some relevance? Because, I mean, everything, of course, cannot be an absolute lie. There has to be some degree of, not facts, but some, some degree of sense in what they're saying. So could you address that? The first, of course, is, why is Nigeria important to the rest of the world? And the second part is the narrative of social media. Is it um, is it wrongfully amplifying the situation back home? So some people feel like 
uh, more recently, yeah, you know, there's some people in the international communities. I feel like Nigeria, at the end of the day, is not that important. It was important because, like you said, the population, the markets, and just generally, it's oversized nature. And I know, for example, there were some people that were reading some projects, and they told me that they are now focused on East Africa because now people are like Nigeria is not worth the risk anymore. Before it was more high risk, high reward, but some people are saying. It's not even that high reward anymore. So why go through the high risk? But I'm now seeing a another uh, wave of sentiments because as things get worse and worse in Nigeria, I think there is now growing fear because because of Nigeria's outsized nature in West Africa and Africa, if Nigeria is in deep problems, it will be a problem for the rest of the continent. It will be a problem in terms of the outflow of Nigerian refugees. Already we have Nigerian refugees across West Africa in Nigeria's neighboring countries and the strain that they're putting on those countries. It was literally, I mean, like I said, Boko Haram used to be a Nigerian problem, but Nigeria's inability to contain that problem made it a problem for three other countries, for Niger, Cameroon, and Chad. And now they have regular Boko Haram attacks. Now they have to invest military resources in, in fighting Boko Haram. You even have, um, I read, one of my colleagues that is Beninoa, he's writing an article on rise of kidnapping in Benin. And one of the things he's saying is that some of these guys are coming from Nigeria. So <laughs> I think there's now a, I mean, first of all, Nigeria was kind of important. Nigeria was one of the countries that was celebrated in the 2000s where we had um, a bit of economic growth. It was mostly by because of oil prices. But then in Nigeria, you know, one of the rising stars, you know, Africa rising, da 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 And then things started to go bad and people started feeling, okay, maybe Nigeria is not that important. You know, what is the point? You have country companies leaving, you have things going bad. But now as things are getting worse in Nigeria, the new rhetoric I'm seeing or the new narrative I'm seeing is that Nigeria cannot be allowed to fail because if anybody's interested in Africa or interested in West Africa, then it would be a massive problem for at least the West African region just because it's too... It's um it, it, it will just the, the ripple effect will be too will be too much, you know. Even just the outflow of refugees to, to countries that are even equally poor, poorer than Nigeria is is just already one one major effect. And then the spillover of violence, the spillover of violence, extremism, the spillover of criminality, it's already a big issue in, in many West African countries where they feel like their um connections are being built between violent extremists in different countries. And it's sort of like now I, I see, I feel like there's a growing sense that the people, the outside world does not want Nigeria to get to a point where it now becomes too difficult to reverse. So those conversations are ongoing and I guess we'll see where they end up, you know, and especially now that it seems like Nigeria is more open or the Nigerian president is more open to foreign interference or foreign involvement. So we'll see where they end up. But that is one of the reasons why Nigeria is important. I'd also mention that when you talk about statistics, so I'll give an example. I think I read that um, remittances to Africa in general, um, I think it was supposed to be, again, going back to Nigeria's outsized nature. So even for many countries in Africa, remittances actually grew during the pandemic because I think they fell for Nigeria. And because they fell for Nigeria, that's if I'm right, so I'll have to check. Because they fell for Nigeria, it now seems like they fell for the entire continent because of Nigeria's size. So even when other African countries are pushing for progress, when things are really bad in Nigeria, when poverty rate is very bad in Nigeria, when Nigeria's GDP is not growing, when Nigeria's economy is not growing, then you now look at the continent as a whole. Nigeria's situation affects the outlook for the entire continent because of its, of its size. So they say that five African countries is it account for about 50% of Africa's GDP. I think that was the number, which is 
and I mean Nigeria, South Africa, Egypt, and those people. So there's a like an outsized effect on the on the situation and the economic situation of the rest of the continent. Although obviously we have countries that are going full steam ahead, Ghana and Co, trying their best, not bothering about whatever is going on in individual countries. So those are just two examples. And to your question, your second question was about, I think I forgot. <laughs> My second question was about, uh, you know, social social media um, oh, yeah. wrongfully amplifying the situation on the ground. Yeah, it's a very curious situation because um, I don't think social media is wrongfully amplifying the situation on the ground. But we know that, say, if you're looking at Nigeria on Instagram and if you're looking at Nigeria on Twitter, you get a bit of a different view. And I realized recently that if you're looking at Nigeria on Snapchat, I'm not on Snapchat. Is this? No, not Snapchat. Uh, TikTok. Yeah. If you're looking at Nigerian content on TikTok and you're looking at Nigerian content on YouTube, it's also a very, it's a different face of Nigeria that you're seeing. So for things like TikTok and YouTube, you're seeing more of like the younger Nigerian, the more positive, I mean, to an extent, some of the contents that people are producing, aside the news and, and the things that are more real. So Twitter, by its nature, is more critical and rightfully so. And I don't think that the criticism is misplaced in any way, you know, because the, some of the things that we see, the things that make the headlines are just the tip of the iceberg for all of the things that are happening in the country. So there's things that are going on. I mean, I live in a flat in Wuye in Abuja, and it's not three weeks ago, the house opposite my house was robbed. The security man was tired and he was beat up and things like that. So these things are happening every day. They're all over the place. And even the things that we're discussing and amplifying on social media are just the tip of the iceberg. But what I, I also have noticed is that the way Twitter is, you know, I think Twitter is quite incredible because it feels like the world, I mean, for the for the countries that are participating on Twitter, you know, and um it, and then people are talking in their own different countries, right? So we Nigerians on Twitter, we feel like we're talking in Nigeria to ourselves. But at the same time, again, because of our size, because just our loudness and things like that, a lot of people are observing our conversations in ways that we do not really expect. So it's almost as if I could be talking to my brother about a family problem. And we're talking very realistically because... It's our family. We're trying to fix it. But then the way to try is it's almost as if we're on a stage and we have a loudspeaker as we're talking about a private family issue. So which is not a bad thing in itself. But then I now I'm just realizing that, you know, we were having conversations with ourselves, but we didn't know that we had like a very large audience that were very quietly listening to us. And then at unexpected times, you just bring up something, you know. Now, one of the things that Africans used to like to insult Nigerians is that you don't have lights. So if a Nigerian is saying anything, they'll say, oh, yeah, go and put on your lights. Or are you using your last battery to, to tweet? So nobody told them that directly per se, but it's just observing Nigeria. Another thing that they like to use to insult Nigeria is Buhari. I've even read, you know, many things where people say they went to a conference and then they were trying to do something and then people said, well, yeah, the people that elected Buhari now. But they don't really know anything about Buhari aside what they hear or say about Buhari. So they see how much a lot, some people resent Buhari and don't like what he's doing. And then they, like, <laughs> a good example was during the pandemic. Was it during the pandemic? When we were, everyone was asking, was expecting Buhari to address Nigeria. I think it was during the pandemic because other presidents were giving, yes, they were giving speeches and doing all those things. Well, we didn't see Buhari, but it was saying, where's Buhari? And um, I know that it now became a running joke that Nigerians don't even know where <laughs> 
where Buhari is. So I'm always surprised to see these things because nobody was telling a Kenyan that. So. But the Kenyan was just minding their business. But because when Nigerians are talking, it's like it just spreads everywhere. And then they see these things. But I don't think, I, I feel like that is focusing on, focusing on the wrong issue, right? I mean, it's the same way social media amplifies Nigerian content creators, Nigerian celebrities, the same way you have Ghanaians that are, Tasha stands and, and things like that. So, you know, Tasha from, I think, Big Brother. So you now have, um, you have like, people across Africa that are rooting for, you know, very random things. So it has the positive um, aspect and the negative aspect. When the protests happen in Senegal, because of how outsized Nigeria is also on Twitter, the Senegalese had apparently very closely observed the way NSAs happened in Nigeria. They were not actively... Um, tagging Nigerian influencers to, to promote their own hashtags. They were even criticizing Jack of Twitter that why you, you, you created a logo for Nigerians, why haven't you done this for us? They were very actively learning from the Nigerian model and the way the NSAS protest went. You know? So it has its, its good aspects and its bad aspects. And I think it's a great thing for Africans because it's one of the few ways that we're able to connect. It's a very new thing and we're learning a lot from each other and seeing what is happening in Uganda. I mean, Twitter was banned in Nigeria. Nigeria thinks that it's a very uniquely Nigerian thing. But in Uganda, they blocked like, Twitter and Facebook during the elections a while ago. So I don't think that um, the, this um, unintended consequence merits even too much conversation. The focus should be on fixing the country. You know, that should be the focus rather than trying to hide the realities from the rest of the world. Because one way or the other, they will find out. Hey, listeners. Hope you have enjoyed our conversation with Tenny so far. In our next episode, we will conclude the discussion with Tenny and share any thoughts we have. In the meantime, please share your thoughts with us. We are on Twitter at pod with a zero save Africa, on Instagram at pod save Africa, and on Facebook pod space save space Africa. You may also email us podsaveafrica at gmail.com and contact us via our website, which is saveafricapod.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on all...